It's a delight to have Andres with us this morning. Andres and Brenda joined us. They're from, originally from South Africa, spent many years working in India, leading churches, then a short time in Edinburgh, where they have family, and then they decided God was leading them to Durham. Hey! And I remember speaking to Andres and Brenda, I think it was a year past November, at a reset conference we had here, and he just expressed uh, their desire to move to Durham at the prompting of God. And, you know, you hear that so often down through the years, and it just doesn't happen. But it is wonderful to have Andres and Brenda here with us this morning. And it's a a wonderful time, isn't it? Easter Sunday as we gather. And just in preparation for this, I said to Andres, look, it might be a special Sunday. It might be the time when we remember the resurrection of Jesus in a special way. But I don't want you to get dressed up. (laughs) And ever obedient to the word. He hasn't. (laughs) Oh, welcome to the family, young man. Thank you. So, Father, we do thank you. We thank you for this servant of God. And we ask right now, Lord, that as he comes among friends and family, he will have a tremendous sense of freedom to discharge that which you've given to him for us. And may your word find a resting place in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Alan. Thank you. Paul, good morning. It really is a joy and a privilege to be with you today. Um, we are just loving being here in Emmanuel Church. We're so glad that this is our home. We're really feeling at home. Uh, we staying for the weekend with uh, John and Jackie, and we went for a little walk and looked out across uh, yesterday afternoon. And uh, just what a what a fantastic place this is to live. And we're just so grateful that God is making this our home. So it's my joy and my privilege to speak to you uh, today, Easter Sunday, and I want to speak to you from Matthew 28. So we're going to be uh, reading Matthew 28 together. Uh, it's a wonderful chapter. But we've, before we get into uh, Matthew 28, let's just recap a little bit, and I guess we have as we've broken bread. But if you read Matthew 27 or in the other Gospels, the chapter before the resurrection, it's pretty heavy going. If you read the story in Matthew 27, it's, it's, it's pretty heavy going. Jesus is arrested. Um, he's, he is tried by the high priests. Uh, he's spat upon. He's beaten. He's taken to Pilate. Again, he's beaten. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He's, uh, he's really treated in such a terrible way. Um, he's flogged, and then he's crucified. And at the end of Matthew 27, I think it's fair to say Jesus is dead and buried. It seems like, well, that's the end. For all those who knew him and loved him, end of Matthew 27, Jesus is dead and buried. And Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pilate and asks for the body. Nicodemus is with him. They take the body of Jesus. They wrap it. Uh, The Bible says in a clean linen sheet. They wrap the body and they put it in the tomb belonging to uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Um, the women are there to see what's happening. And then the chief priests on the Sabbath, mind you, which they should not be doing, the chief priests all break the Sabbath, which they've been defending, and uh, go to Pilate and say, look, this man said 
that he would rise from the dead on the third day. And so we don't want his disciples to come and steal away the body. So we want to, can we post a guard and seal the tomb? And Pilate says they can. So they take, uh, they get a guard and a guard is posted and the tomb is sealed. And that's where chapter 27 ends. And it's, it's been pretty heavy going. But when we get to chapter 28, it's a new day. And as you're going to see, the mood just changes completely. So I want to read it because it's a, it's a wonderful chapter. And then we'll kind of go through it a couple of verses at a time. So Matthew 27 says, After the Sabbath, which was the Saturday, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead, and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him now, I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid and yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. While the woman were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say that his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed, and this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I'd just like to pray for a moment. Father, we want to thank you for your word today. We ask you that you would bless it and speak to our hearts. Thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Matthew 28 is a wonderful chapter after chapter 27. In chapter seven, in, in chapter 27, who's in charge? Well, it's the chief priests. They're in charge, and there's Pilate who's in charge, and then it's the soldiers who are in charge, and then I suppose you could say it's the guard at the tomb. They are in charge. But in chapter 28, it says, After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. Let's just pause there for a moment. Why did they go to the tomb? Well, the other Gospels tell us in Luke, for example, that they had spices and they wanted to anoint the body of Jesus. But really, you could say they went because they loved Jesus. Their reason for going that morning was that they loved him. 
And you know, the whole Bible is really a love story. The whole Bible is the story of God's love for us and our love for him. And that's really what I, I want us to keep in mind as we read this. The, the scripture says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It's a love story. From, from, from Genesis to Revelation, God so loves the world. And Mary is there and the other woman too because they love Jesus. And that's why they're there on that morning. And there had been this violent earthquake. And, a, and, and an earthquake in the Bible often speaks of the presence of God. Uh, there, were, there was an earthquake on Mount Sinai when, when Moses went to the mountain. So there's been a violent earthquake, not only an earthquake. Now, I don't know how many of you have been in an earthquake. I, I have been in one or two in, in India. And an earthquake's bad enough. A violent earthquake would be something else. So there's been a violent earthquake. And an angel of the Lord has come down from heaven, gone to the tomb, and rolled back the stone. Heaven has broken in. From all the doom and gloom and the... The sadness of chapter 27, suddenly heaven breaks in, and guess who's in charge? It's no longer the, the gods, it's no longer the Romans, it's the angel. And he just goes across to the stone, rolls it away, and then sits on top of the stone. Now, I love that picture. The Bible says it was a massive stone. That's the, I think about that, I just love this picture of the, the angel. He rolls the stone away, and then, all right, well, let's sit on this stone. That's the kind of thing my son would do. I just love, maybe it was a young angel, I don't know, but there he is. He's rolled the stone away and he's, he's parked off on top of the stone. And he's not bothered about the Roman God. The Romans, who, or they may not have been Romans, they may have been uh, part of the temple God. When they saw that angel, the Bible says he was like lightning. Now again, I don't know if you've been in a lightning storm recently. It can be pretty scary. Brenda and I drove down in South Africa through, through a storm, through a lightning storm, and <laughs> we were praying. There was lightning everywhere. It was pretty scary. And when, these, when, the, when this God saw the angel, who was, uh, his appearance was like lightning, and he moves the stone, it says they, they shook. Well, I don't know if you've seen it in the movies, but when you get really, really scared, maybe it's happened to you. What happens when you get really scared? Well, your, your, your knees begin to give way and you begin to shake. And that's what happened to them. They were literally so scared that they shook. I think they couldn't stand and they fell down and they were like dead men. And so I just love the change that, that's happened. The Romans are not in charge anymore. Pilate's not a factor. The angel has come and heaven has broken in. And the Romans who were alive are now like dead men. And Jesus, who was dead, is gloriously alive. <laughs> Everything changes. <laughs> and the angel says to the woman, do not be afraid. And isn't that wonderful that God comes so often to us with these words of comfort. You'll find these words right through the, through the New Testament. Don't be afraid. God wants to relieve us of our fear. And, and that's what the angel does. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. The angel says, basically, I've, I've been waiting for you. And I've, I've got a message for you. I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified, he is not here, he has risen. And that's what we're celebrating today. We're celebrating the risen Jesus. I think I, in some ways I've got three points uh, today. I probably have more, but as I thought about what I might say, I thought of a BRP. The B is for believe. When we get to the message today, let's just believe it. The R is for rejoice and the P is for proclaim. And that's my message in a nutshell. If you forget everything else, it's believe, rejoice, and proclaim. 
And so that's where we go. So the angel says to her, do not be afraid. He has risen just as he said. And I want to take a few moments just to think about that. Uh, well, then he says, come and see the place where he lay. So the, the angel, uh, I think someone prayed in the prayer meeting, the stone was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. The stone was rolled away so that Mary could go in. And also Peter and also John. The stone was rolled away so that we could see Jesus is no longer there. He's risen. So, and the angel wants her to see and to believe. He doesn't just tell her. He says, come, see for yourself. Seeing is believing, right? See. He's not there. And she goes in and she sees. And, and the same happens later with Peter and John, if you read in the, gospel, in the Gospel of John. They come and they see that Jesus is no longer there. But he says this. He says, he has risen just as he said. Now, it's interesting that Jesus said on a number of occasions that he would die and that he would rise again. Uh, there's an account earlier in Matthew's gospel where on the Mount of Transfiguration, wonderful things have happened. And they're on their way down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And Jesus has, t- has told them what's going to happen. He's going to be betrayed. He's going to be tried. He's going to be crucified. But he will rise on the third day. And on the way down the mountain, they are discussing among themselves rising from the dead. What does that mean? What could that possibly mean? I mean, we don't know. It couldn't mean, really, that he rises from the dead. But what does it mean? They could not grasp that this was actually going to happen. Nobody really understood it. But the point is that he has risen just as he said. Now, that's important because... Well, let me, let me go back a moment. At the, at the beginning of his ministry, um, in John's Gospel, Jesus has turned water into wine. What a wonderful Savior we have. <laughs> He turns water into wine. He brings joy to a wedding. And uh, and then the next event is he goes to the temple and uh, sheep and cattle. The, the temple is full of sheep and cattle and, and doves and it's become a marketplace and Jesus clears the temple. And the, the priests are very unhappy. The chief priests don't like it at all and they challenge him. Um, and I've written it down, so uh, let me find it. They, they What they say to him is... Um, What sign can you show us to prove that you have the authority to do this? So they want a sign from Jesus that he has the authority to clear the temple. And Jesus says this to them. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Right at the beginning of the Gospel of John. Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they say, what? It's taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? And they did not understand that he was talking about his body. Jesus knew exactly what would be happening. And he said, if you destroy this temple, meaning his body, that he would rise in three days from the dead. And so Jesus had said this repeatedly, and yet no one really believed it. No one could could grasp that it was true. So when Jesus rises from the dead, as he had said, only God can do that. Only the Son of God can do that. So the point I'm making is that the, the empty tomb, according to the words of Jesus, is the proof that he is who he said he was, and that everything he said was true. If he could say that he's going to die and raise, rise from the dead in three days, he could say that, well then, and, and do it. It's one thing to say it, it's another thing to do it. And that's exactly what he does. He rises from the dead on the third day. So everything, it vindicates Jesus completely. He is validated, he is verified, he is 
It's like, this is the Son of God. This is who he said he was. And it's important because it means that Jesus has the authority to do everything that he said he would do. He said he, he had the authority to forgive sin, which is a wonderful thing. Everything that he said and everything that he promised has been, uh, if, if you like, authenticated by the empty tomb because that's what he said would happen. And so I want to think for a few moments before we go on with Matthew 28, what are some of the things that Jesus said? One of them is found in the Gospel of John, and Jesus says this. He says, I am the light of the world. What a statement to make. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Isn't that a fantastic promise? So I have here a little Gospel of John with this on the cover, and I'm hoping that today, by the end of the meeting, there may be one or two people who today decide that they are going to follow Jesus. And I would love to give this to you at the end of the meeting, if, if there is someone like that. So Jesus makes this promise, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. The resurrection does not mean that you will never have problems again or that life will be easy. But the promises of Jesus is that you will never walk in the darkness. You, if you follow Jesus, you will have light and you will have the light of life. So that's one of the promises of Jesus. Another one. One we probably know quite well is Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's quite a statement. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, how could that be? Because many people will say to you, well, there are many ways to God. There are, there are other ways, and you're a Christian, but what about this and what about that? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And why is that? Well, the reason for that is because he is the only one who died for our sin. He's the only one who could. Because he was the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And no one else has died for us. No one else could. If, if somebody else had died for your sin, which they haven't done, but if they had, they, would, they couldn't do it because they would have to die for their own sin. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Buddha didn't die for you and couldn't die for you. Or Krishna, or Muhammad, or anybody else, or Confucius. The only one who has died to take away our sin is Jesus. And that is why he is the way, the truth, and the life. And we should put our faith in him because there's no one else who can save us. Um, I think in the prayer meeting this morning, yeah, when we were praying beforehand, um, Andrew, I think you read about uh, Jesus at the graveside uh, of Lazarus. His friend Lazarus had died. Uh, he'd been inside the tomb, and Jesus goes, and uh, Martha says to him, let me just find my place so that, uh, yeah. Martha says to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, your brother will live again. And then she says, I know that he will live on the last day at the resurrection. And Jesus answers and he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. What an incredible statement. Resurrection and eternal life are not a, are not a doctrine or a teaching. It's, it's in a person and the person is Jesus. So Martha saying, Lord, uh, I, I, my brother would not have died. Jesus says he will rise again. She says, I know it will happen on the last day. And he says, but Martha, 
I am the resurrection and the life, and I'm here. Where's your brother? Lazarus, come out! <laughs> because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. What a moment that must have been when this man shuffles out from the tomb and, and they unwrap the grave clothes. Why? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And this incredible promise, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, let's, let's find it, will live even though they die. Whoever lives, in, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. I don't know if you think about that much. But Jesus says we'll never die. He says in another place in John's Gospel, if we believe in him, we've crossed over from death to life. We've crossed over. It's like we've gone across the river. or we're, We've crossed over from death to life and we'll never die. That is an incredible thing. So we who believe in Jesus have this incredible hope of resurrection life, which has begun. We've crossed over from death to life, and the Bible says we'll never die. In other words, we are no longer afraid of death. Death for a Christian just means it's just a doorway into the presence of God. It's just, uh, it's just a doorway. Um, one of the saddest things that I ever experienced in India was we, we had a home, and um, we, we had some Hindu neighbor, neighbors close to us, a few meters away, I suppose, the house, and one of the teenage daughters died. And I have never heard such despair and such crying when that daughter died. I realized it was, it was just the most awful sound. We could hear it. This family just weeping, absolute despair. Because in Hinduism, there is no hope of the resurrection. There isn't. There may be reincarnation, and you may come back as a frog, but that's about as good as it gets. You may get better than that, but... That's what there is. And there was this absolute despair, and it helped me realize, wow, we who believe in Christ, we are, what a hope we have. We've sung today, death has been defeated. That's what Jesus did. Good Friday was good. In what sense? Well, it was good because Sunday was coming. That's one reason. But Good Friday was good because what happened? The Bible tells us that on Good Friday, when the devil thought that he was winning, Actually, what happened is Jesus abolished death. That's just the most astonishing thing. In Second Timothy 1, it says, Jesus destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light. Isn't that an incredible thing? So death has been destroyed. That's what Jesus did uh, on the cross. And so we who believe in Jesus, we have life and we have it now. He is the resurrection and he is the life. So life is... Uh, Eternal life or resurrection is not a doctrine. It's, not, it's, it's rooted in a person, the person of Jesus. And we who believe in him have crossed over from death to life. So I'm hoping that there may be people here today, or I think there may be people here today who are here because it's Easter Sunday. And that's what we do on Easter Sunday. We come along to a meeting and we sing some songs and someone speaks. But I'm hoping that today you will make this personal, that you will believe that Jesus died for you. He died for you because he loves you. He really does. He loves you. And he loved you so much that he gave his life for you to take away all your sin. And I'm hoping there are people here today who will make that personal and say, you know what, that, I've heard this, but today I'm believing that for me. I'm making it personal that Jesus died for me. So those are some of the things that are true because uh, the tomb was empty just as Jesus said it would be. Everything he said uh, has been validated by his resurrection. 
One writer said it like this. He said, his resurrection is the crowning evidence that he is the Son of God and can give new life to all who come to him in repentance and faith. You can come to him for repentance and faith. Uh, Sorry, you can come to him for new life when you come in repentance and faith. Let's go on in in, uh, Matthew's Gospel. So Jesus says, come, he's risen, just as he said. See the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples. Now, what I like in this uh, account is there are a, a number of messengers. First of all, there's the angel. Now, the Greek word is angelos, and an angelos is a messenger. So there's a messenger with a message. And he gives Mary a message, and she is going to become a messenger with a message. She gets a message to go to the disciples and to tell them that Jesus is going ahead of them into Galilee. So the women hurry away from the tomb. They're afraid, and yet they are filled with joy. There's such joy because they've believed. She's looked. She's seen the place. The tomb is empty, and there's such joy in her heart. And so her heart is filled with joy. Faith will always fill our hearts with joy. When we believe the promises of God, when we believe the word of God, uh, faith and uh, and joy will rise in our lives. And so these women are, uh, are filled with joy. And they run to tell the disciples, and while they're running, suddenly Jesus meets them. What the empty tomb means is that you can have an encounter with God just the way that Mary had. You can meet with Jesus. You can meet a risen Savior. He's not a God who's far away or, you know, in heaven or in a tomb. He's a a risen Savior, and he can meet with you and me. We can have an encounter with a risen Savior. Christianity is not, it's not religion. And it's not church, and it's not ritual, it's a risen Savior, Jesus, who's alive, and we can meet him and encounter him. And I hope that's why you come. When we gather like this, we're coming uh, not to be church people, we're coming to encounter God. And we encounter him in the worship, and in our prayers, and through the word, and through prophetic things. And so the empty tomb means we can have an encounter with Jesus, just as Mary did. And, of course, the other disciples at the end of the chapter. So they have an encounter with Jesus. He he says greetings to them. Another translation, he says, uh, peace be with you. When Jesus sees Mary, he's got a word of, of comfort and of peace. But he not only comforts Mary, he commissions her. And that's what the resurrection does as well. It brings comfort to our hearts. It gives us this assurance that we will rise from the dead But the resurrection and the empty tomb commission us as Mary was commissioned. They come, they fall at his feet, they worship him, they acknowledge that he is the Son of God. And then Jesus says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. They're going to have an encounter as well. Isn't that a marvelous thing? To have an encounter with the risen Lord. And that can happen in many different ways. Often it is through scripture, but it can happen through prayer and through worship and through a song. Uh, it can happen as we break bread. But the, risen, the, the empty tomb means we can encounter Jesus. And I love the fact that he says, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. Remember, these are the guys who had deserted Jesus. In his hour of need, remember the story in, in uh, Gethsemane, Jesus is praying and he takes Peter, James and John and says, pray with me. I, I, I'm, I'm so troubled. Will you pray with me? He goes to pray, comes back and finds them asleep. <laughs> and so he wakes them up and says, oh, pray with me. And he goes away and comes back and again they're asleep. And then he's arrested and everybody deserts him. 
They all, they all run away. And Peter, of course, deny, denies him. But Jesus, when he speaks to Mary, he says, go and tell my brothers. He's not, he's not holding anything against them. He loves them. And he's so looking forward to seeing them again. So Mary goes with a message. She's got a message from the angel. She's got a message from Jesus. And she is now a messenger. While, they, while they're on their way, the gods go back to the chief priests and tell their story. That's not really the important part. Let's go on to verse 16. And uh, I'm battling to see that clock. Uh, verse 16 says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee. They're going to have an encounter with, with Jesus in Galilee. We don't have to go to Galilee. We don't have to go to, on pilgrimage. We can encounter Jesus right here. And I, I hope you have today. I hope you've encountered him in the worship or in the prayer or, or through the word. They go to Galilee uh, where Jesus told them to go. When they see him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. You see, it was, they'd been through the trauma of the crucifixion. I mean, I think it's hard for us to imagine what that would have been like to see the one that you love and trust and believe hanging on a cross. It must have been such a trauma for them. And so they see him, but they're, they're kind of confused. Can this really be, is this real? Is this really happening? Is this true? They saw him, some worshipped, uh, they worshipped, but some doubted. And Jesus is so kind. When we're in a place of doubt in our faith, what does Jesus do? He comes closer. He doesn't get impatient with us. He sees their doubt and their confusion. And I love that in verse 17, uh, sorry, verse 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them. He comes close to them to reassure them and to comfort them. And then there are these amazing words. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm not sure if we really dwell on that often enough to know what that means. The background to this is Daniel chapter 7 in the Old Testament, where the Son of Man comes to the Ancient of Days and receives a kingdom. Jesus has been crowned the King of the whole universe. He is the King of heaven and of earth. He is the King of the universe. It is just an astonishing thing that's happened. And that king of the universe comes to the disciples. That's who he is. That savior that we prayed to this morning, some of us, or yesterday, or you asked him for a parking place, which is fine. Jesus is our friend. But let's not forget he's the king of the universe. That's who he is. All authority, meaning none excluded, in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so the resurrection of Jesus doesn't mean, wow, Jesus is risen. We can just have such a good life. You know, he's overcome. We can have such a good life. No, the resurrection of Jesus sends us into the world like Mary and like the 11 disciples with a message. This is a message that has to go into all the earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. That means the whole world, every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus is calling them out of a smaller story into the big story of God. There's a big story of God. And he, he calls us out of our own 
often quite small stories, our personal lives, and God calls us into the bigger story of God, and that's where he wants us to live, in the bigger story of God. On the uh, occasion when Brenda and I, the Lord called us to go to to India, he actually, we were traveling with, with friends through the night in a, in a VW minibus, and God spoke to me, and we weren't sitting together. Brenda had a vision, and we knew God was calling us to another nation. We arrived at the uh, hotel where, this, where there was a national conference, and uh, so it's a national conference, and normally people would sort of welcome the delegates and say, oh, it's good to have, you know, so-and-so from Durban and so-and-so from Johannesburg or whatever, you know, and there'd be some banter and welcome everyone. And he said, the leader said, this morning, I don't feel to do that. We're not going to have any welcome. We're not going to have any songs. We're not going to have any preaching. He said, I feel that people here today, and God is calling you to relocate for the gospel. This is how it starts. These are his kind of opening words. God is calling you to relocate for the gospel. If that's you, I want you to come to the front. I mean, this is like three or four minutes after it's all begun. And about 40 to 50 people went to the front, including Brenda and I. It was just something God was doing. And so 40 or 50 of us go to the front, and it's like, I wish I could go to some more conferences that begin that way, you know. And we go to the front, and I'm standing there, and God has spoken to us. We know he's calling us. And as I'm standing there, in prayer, I see, a, I see a picture of Jesus. I could call it a vision, but I don't know if it was. I, but anyway, I see Jesus, and he's big, and he's, he's clothed in a white robe. And it's, what I see is I just see Jesus, and he's happy. He's not worried. <laughs> Jesus is big, and he's happy, and he's just gathering. I see him just gathering the nations of the world to himself. That's what Jesus is doing. And I, as I'm standing there seeing Jesus, and he's just with joy, and he's just gathering the nations, because he loves the world. He so loves the world, and he loves you. He loves each one of us. Put your own name there, Elizabeth, or Martha, or Arthur, or Eric. He loves you, but he so loves the whole world. And Jesus is gathering the nations, and I feel like God's saying, I'm calling you into this adventure. I'm calling you to be a part of what Jesus is doing. And I want to say, I believe he calls each one of us to that. He calls us to have a world vision. So I'm We've been staying with um, John and Jackie, and I was doing a little bit of prep in their lounge. And I saw these, I saw this spec case. I thought, wow, that is so cool. Now, John's a cool guy. But here is a, here is a spec case, and it's got a map of the world. And as I looked at that, you know, I thought, wow, God wants to give us new vision and a world vision. <laughs> a new vision for the world. <laughs> And he really does. He wants us to come out of our smallest story into the bigger story of God. And that's what the resurrection does. Jesus said, or Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, he says, And he died for all. Jesus died for all of us that we might live. Thank God for, for, the, for, the, for the table. Thank you. Jesus died in my place so that I don't have to die. That's what this is all about. If you do not believe in Jesus, you are one day going to have to die for your own sins. You will face the judgment of God and have to die for your sin. But Jesus died for us so that we don't have to die. And so we read earlier, if we believe in Jesus, we've crossed from, life, from death to life. We will never die. You, your body, you'll put aside your body one day. But you, you're ne- if you're a Christian, you're never going to die. Isn't that an amazing thought? I think it's an incredible thought. I know physically you'll, you, you'll leave your body behind, but you'll just, you'll just 
straight into the presence of God. When Peter writes uh, his second letter to Peter, he says, I'm going to do my best so that after my departure, you can remember these things. He talks about his death after my departure. It's like he's catching a plane. <laughs> he's in the depart. After my departure, you will remember these things. We're just going to step from this life into the presence of God. It's an incredible thing because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So Jesus calls us into a bigger picture. I heard somebody say once that repentance is embracing God's agenda. And I really like that. I really like the definition of repentance. Repentance for a Christian is we embrace God's agenda. Another way of saying that is repentance means we leave our old life behind. We turn to Jesus in faith and we begin to live for him. So I want to encourage us today that we are people that Scripture in 2 Corinthians 5 says, He died for all, He died for us, that those who live, that's us, should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died for them and rose again. So I want to call us today that we step out of our smaller stories and we, we live in the bigger story of God. We live in this event of the resurrection. We live in that. We live on Jesus and we don't live for ourselves anymore. You know, you'll never be happy when you live for yourself. Have you? Did you find that? I've tried it, and probably you have too. That is not the way to fulfillment and joy, to live for yourself. But if we live for him, we'll have an incredible life. This chapter ends with this uh, statement. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Alan, I am so sorry. I do not know when I began. <laughs> I... <laughs> okay. Uh, I am sorry. <laughs> I am drawing to an end. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And I used to read that and kind of think it was, it's a little bit of a like a there, there verse. You know, there, there, it won't be so bad. I'll be with you to comfort you. You know, some sort of comforting reassurance. You know, it'll be okay. I'll be with you. You know, I'll hold. this is not, that's not what that verse is about. It's not a mothering verse. I think it's a fathering verse. When, when Jesus says, and I will be with you to the end, well, there's a similar promise in Hebrews. Uh, the writer of the Hebrews says, you know, I will never leave you or forsake you. He's, he's quoting Deuteronomy. He's quoting Moses. When Jesus says, I'll be with you, he's saying, I will be with you the way I was with Moses. Have you read that story lately? In Exodus, there are signs and wonders. There are amazing things that happen. And Jesus is saying, I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will be with you, disciples, as I was with Joshua. I will be with you in power. And so when Jesus gives us this promise, it's not a there, there verse. He's saying, you can expect amazing things to happen. I will make a way where there is no way. The Israelites went through a sea. On dry land. They went through a sea. I'll make a way where there is no way. Joshua walked across the Jordan River. I'll make a way where there is no way. I'll provide where there's no provision at all. I will provide for you. And in the desert, they had the manna. And they had quail. And I will fight your battles for you. When they face uh, the one guy, remember, his name is Og. What a funny name to have. But anyway, God fought their battles for them. And so... When Jesus says to his disciples, I'm with you always to the very end of the age, it's not a, it's not a little religious statement. It's I will be with you in power. The resurrection means anything can happen. Absolutely anything can happen. 
The blind can see, the deaf can hear, the lame can walk, and the dead can be raised. And that's what happens in the book of Acts. So we see the fulfillment of this promise in the book of Acts. And Acts chapter 2 tells us that there were many signs and wonders done by the apostles. And not only by the apostles, but by some of the other guys like Philip and Stephen, who were deacons. They were not apostles. And yet there were, there were mighty miracles. So when Jesus promises us that he is with us, he's saying, I will be with you the way I was with Moses and with Joshua and with David. And we can expect an exciting life. Amen. So Jesus is the resurrection. He is the life. We can put our faith in him. I want to give an opportunity to folk who maybe haven't, you, maybe you've kind of heard this before, but you've not made it personal. I want, to, I want to give you an opportunity to believe in Jesus today, to make it personal, to put your own name there. So the gospel basically says this, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, many people in, in our culture today don't believe that, but the truth is we have all sinned. We are all sinners. All of us here today are sinners. And uh, your family probably knows that. The people who know you well know that you are a sinner. But that's the truth. We have all sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. The standard to go to heaven or to have eternal life is actually the glory of God. It's perfection and none of us can live like that. So first thing we need to understand is that we are all sinners. Everyone in this room needs a savior. Amen? Everybody needs a savior. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Then Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Death is a horrible thing. It's an awful thing. It's just a terrible thing. There was an occasion uh, in India once where probably one of the, the worst things I had to do was we were in the same house and we began to smell something a bit bad. And eventually I went up onto the top floor and there I found a dead monkey. So there were lots of monkeys around. And this monkey was in a state of decomposing. And it was the most awful thing. And I was the guy to get rid of the dead monkey. But this is death and it's decomposing and there are maggots. And I thought, you know what? Death is such an awful thing. But the Bible says that the result of sin is death. That's why there's death in the world today. It was never God's intention that there should be death. He put a tree of life in the Garden of Eden. So, But the wages of sin, the result of sin is death. But the verse goes on. But the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. There is a gift from God and that gift is eternal life. The only way we can be saved is just to, just to believe. There is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We can do nothing. Church going will not work. Being a good person won't work. There is nothing we can do except receive the free gift of salvation. We come to this table and you have some bread and you drink some juice. When we did this on Friday, I, I kind of had a little mini encounter with Jesus all on my own there while we were. I thought, you know what? There's nothing I can do to add to this. I, I, can, I can eat the bread. I can drink the juice. But actually, you, you cannot help Jesus die on the cross and take away the sin of the world. We cannot save ourselves. I think that's probably the greatest lie in our culture today is that somehow you can save yourself. You can't. All we can do is receive a free gift. And that comes to us in the person of Jesus. Could I ask you for a moment to close your eyes? I just would like to give an opportunity. So uh, just for some privacy, would you mind closing your eyes? If today you've heard this message 
you've seen that there are people here who, who know Jesus. They're filled with the joy of the Lord. If today you would like to make this person say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I, 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 I hear this promise. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to follow Jesus. I want to put my faith in him and receive this free gift of eternal life. If there's somebody like that today, would you mind just raising your hand and putting it down? I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'd like to give you an opportunity if you would like to put your faith in Jesus. Would you just put up your hand and you can put it down again? Thank you. You just put up your hand and I'll know that that's you. All right, I would just like to pray. Father, we want to thank you today for an empty tomb. Thank you for that astonishing truth that Jesus has destroyed death. Thank you that death is a defeated foe, a defeated enemy. Thank you for resurrection life. Lord, we believe, we rejoice, and we will proclaim this message of good news. In Jesus' name, amen.